long introduction and for inviting me to come. Uh, as Colin said, uh, I have a new role. I've, I've been doing this for the last year. The role is called the Branching Streams Liaison. And Branching Streams are the Zen centers and sitting groups around the U.S. and in other countries in the Suzuki Roshi lineage. So led by teachers like Colin, who trained at San Francisco Zen Center. There are about 70 in the U.S. and nine in other countries. Um, so part of my, my role is to help um, support these centers in whatever ways Zen Center can, uh, San Francisco Zen Center can uh, visit, talk with people on the phone. Um, we have a conference every two years. Next year it's going to be in Austin. I hope some of you will be able to come. And... Um, I write a newsletter, uh, we have a website, so various ways to help people connect and share experience and um, encourage each other to keep practicing. So, um, just to say a little bit about myself, that um, I've been living at San Francisco Zen Center. We have three locations, the one, one in the city called City Center, Beginner's Mind Temple. One is at uh, Tassajar Zen Mountain Center. It's in the uh, Ventana Wilderness, inland from Big Sur, California. And the third is Green Gulch Farm, which is a working organic farm. And as part of my, my Zen training, I lived at all three places. And um, it's been a very rich 21 years of residence for me. Uh, and uh, since I've been at Zen Center, I've uh, co-founded two, we, we have groups we call affinity groups, uh, where people who find a, an interest or an aspect of our identity and that's important to us in some way come together regularly. So uh, the first one that started was a meditation and recovery group. And I know you have some meditation and recovery groups meeting here. The second one was uh, Queer Dharma, which I co-founded 10 years ago. We had a 10th anniversary in January, big celebration. And um, uh, we have a young urban Zen group as well that started maybe seven or eight years ago that's very large, uh, very popular. And um, a Zen in Espanol, uh, for people who speak Spanish, and another group I, I co-lead is a monthly unpacking whiteness group. So the reason I'm mentioning this is that um, my talk today is, the title is On Belonging. Uh, and first I wonder, is there anyone who's here for the very first time today? Great, well, a special welcome to you. Um, I, I, um, I mean, it's, Wonderful to come for the first time with a fresh mind, beginner's mind, and you know, uh, to see if, if this place feels like a, a place where you can thrive, and I hope it will be for you. Um, so when I looked on uh, San Antonio Zen Center's website uh, before coming, I saw that you have a statement there 
the San Antonio Zen Center community offers a haven of peace and harmony in which to engage in the arduous task of self-discovery through Zen practice. Um, It's true, it's not easy, Um, although it's very rewarding. And welcoming diversity, the practice of Zazen is available to people of every race, religion, nationality, class, gender, sexual orientation, age, and physical ability. May all beings realize their true nature. So I, I think that's a really important statement to have on the website. And uh, I know you have a, a monthly diversity discussion group, so that is a topic that's alive for people in the Sangha. And um, I think it's a very important topic uh, because it's so easy for us to feel that we don't belong for one reason or another. We may feel we're different in some way that makes it hard to feel that we belong to any group and uh, particularly to a, a Zen Buddhist group because of, in part because of the, the culture of Zen, which is not so easy to um, enter. There's so many, so many forms, the bowing, the um, images, which we may not be familiar with, the Buddha statue, the Manjushri. I mean, it, it's so beautiful. I find it very beautiful. And uh, it's, it's, it takes a while to understand, to learn some of these uh, practices that we do. Um, but So I want to talk about uh, both the inner experience of belonging. How do we feel that we belong to ourselves first? I mean, sometimes that's a struggle. And uh, then what it's like not to belong. And how do we create safe enough spaces for people to feel that they can join and belong? And uh, what are some of the ways we can do that? And I'm going to include a couple of poems in my talk. Um, I just spent two days at the AWP conference in in the convention center. AWP uh, stands for the Association of Writers and um, writing programs. And um, just realize that there is a clock here. I don't have, don't need my watch. Um, and for many years I've been writing poetry and going to poetry retreats and reading poetry. And I find poetry sometimes can say things in a concise way that just open up uh, our understanding. So I will share two poems today. Not mine, but uh, poems that I love, one by a local poet. So um, in terms of the inner experience belonging of belonging, I think the need for belonging is something we all have in common, as we are social beings, connected beings, and we feel supported when we can be in community and um, and I, I want to say, I just um, I looked at my email today, and the city of San Francisco is now has a number of cases of the coronavirus, and they were recommending social distance 
you know, and I know that Texas is grappling with this too, and many things are being canceled, and we're uh, told not to hug one another and uh, not to uh, gather in groups of more than 50. That's what I saw in San Francisco. How this is going to affect uh, places of worship and schools and uh, workplaces is starting to unfold, and it's very challenging, I think, because we are social beings, and it's important for us to be with each other and connect and communicate. And uh, I think this is a, it's very challenging everywhere, you know, right now, uh, not to know that you can't, this is not something we can see, and it lends a feeling of, of being in danger and not being safe enough physically. So I think this is going to have, a, it is already having an impact on people who come together like this in various spaces. So even more to be able to find that sense of belonging internally. And so, you know, and I ask you to reflect for a moment on what is your own inner experience of belonging? How does it feel in your body? And what qualities allow you to relax into being present and feel you can authentically be who you are? And can you touch into that now in this room, that sense of inner belonging? of feeling you can fully be yourself. Um, So um, I want to read a poem that speaks to this sense of inner belonging. It's um, sometimes we have, we may have times in our lives when we don't feel fully connected to ourselves, when we may, and for those of us from underrepresented groups, we may internalize some of the messages that we hear and may not feel valued or uh, you know, totally able to um, cultivate uh, loving compassion towards ourselves. Um, and that's one thing I think meditation can help with you know, when we sit and can we, when we sit, be kind to ourselves, cultivate uh, acceptance of who we are in in the bodies we're in, in this moment in our lives. A um, couple of weeks ago, something happened to my knee and I could hardly walk. And it really uh, was challenging for me uh, to um, think about, you know, my, my aging body and how I can really, I'm very grateful that I'm healthy and uh, have a body that is resilient, and I got help, and I was really concerned about whether I could come on this trip, and it was great relief when by the end of the week the swelling had gone down and I could walk again, and I'm not uh, able to sit cross-legged right now, but I'm grateful that I can still bow. So, you know, these body, our bodies, um, I think are um, wonderful sources of learning because they're always changing. And um, so part of that sense of 
of belonging is being able to be at peace in the body that we are in in this moment, knowing that it's not going to be the same. Um, and, you know, that also includes being able to meet loss when it occurs, when we don't have an ability that we had before, or to be able to accept when we're ill and do the things that will help us to heal. So this poem is called Love After Love. It's by a poet who died not that long ago. Um, he was from the West Indies, Derek Walcott. And it's called, yeah, Love After Love. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. So can we do that? When, especially when times are hard, can we feast on our lives? Can we find that love and appreciation for ourselves when times are difficult? Um, so one of the uh, Buddhist teachers, there are two contemporary Buddhist teachers whose work I've been really appreciating recently, especially in this topic of belonging, and um, belonging in a diverse group, in a, in a group that how do we uh, find a way to be in not only diverse but inclusive, and um, to uh, encourage um, difference in a way that people can thrive in sanghas. And these two are particularly related to sanghas. The first one is Awakening Together. It's by Larry Yang. He um, is a core teacher at Spirit Rock Meditation Center in California. And uh, it's called The Spiritual Practice of Inclusivity and Community. And uh, Larry gave uh, a talk at City Center, uh, followed by a workshop based on his book. And he is a gay uh, practitioner, gay uh, a man of Chinese descent. So he felt often when he initially visited meditation centers and looked around that there was no one there like him. And it was very difficult for him to feel a sense of belonging. And over the years, he's done a lot of work at Spirit Rock to uh, create safer spaces for people of color and people who are LGBT. And currently, they have a four-year teacher training 
that is 80% people of color and people who are LGBTQIA, um, different sexual orientations. And um, that, I think, is a tremendous accomplishment and achievement uh, because initially there were very few teachers of color and teachers of, who are LGBT at Spirit Rock. And in this book he talks about some of the um, Buddhist teachings that contribute to this sense of, uh, of wholeness uh, and connectedness that are, you know, they're part of our practice. It's not something extra. You know, sometimes people think, well, we are all one, and why is this important? And I think there are two sides to that. Yes, we're all one in that we are all interconnected, and it's, um, you know, one of the wonderful fruits of practice is to experience that sense of connectedness with everyone, not all beings, not just, well, including animals and the natural world, that um, what, what each of us does has an impact that affects everybody and all beings and our planet. Um, and the other side of the coin, and I think of them as both and, is that each of us is unique and um, has had a very unique life experience. And um, sometimes that experience doesn't feel like it's recognized or seen in our Buddhist sanghas. So um, one of, when we move from the individual sense of belonging and enter a group of people, especially a new group, feelings of not belonging can easily arise. We, we can all feel, and perhaps you may have felt, different or excluded or that you don't belong. And that's actually, you know, uh, I have a background as a social worker, and I've done a lot of work with groups, and that's often part of the formation of a group. People come to a new group. It could be any kind of group, a therapy group, a discussion group, and look around and um, wonder, is this group for me? Do I belong here? You may have had that experience in, in a classroom. It can be anywhere at work. And um, then there's a sense of um, learning the norms of the group. And as the group forms, you will either feel that, yes, this is a group I want to be part of, I can be part of, or maybe it's not. Uh, so that's a normal thing that happens in any setting. Uh, not just in a Zen center, but um, how can we then create safe enough spaces that people do feel they can not only not, not they're not only welcome but they can thrive and stay and deepen practice. Um, So um, Larry says, uh, Larry Yang in this says that you know it's painful to feel separate from, and it's never an easy or pleasant experience for anyone, regardless of the reasons of the stories involved, to not feel 
seen and heard and valued. And um, although the details of the particular suffering each of us has to contend with in our lives um, may differ, the feeling of isolation that comes from that suffering is the same. Uh, And what is safe enough for one person in a space is not the same as what's safe enough for another person. And um, the other thing that's true is no place no space is 100% safe enough for everybody. So no matter how hard we try, there will be spaces that are not safe for everybody. Um, and part of a, and here I'm going to quote Larry Yang a little bit, part of awakening as a community is acknowledging how people's differing needs may affect how safety is generated differently for various groups. And uh, finding refuge and safety in a supportive community is so critical to deepening spiritual practice. And yet, just because a community says it's welcoming and inviting of everyone's experience doesn't mean that everyone will feel welcome or inviting, invited. So creating a space that is safe enough to feel as if one belongs requires a set of actions, behaviors, and attitudes to support the intentions. And how do we do that? Um, So it's not easy. Um, A couple of weekends ago, I went to a retreat at Spirit Rock uh, was a two-day non-residential retreat with another Buddhist teacher whose book I brought. Uh, Her name is Rhonda McGee. And uh, this was a two-day retreat on the inner work of racial justice. This is her book. Uh, Rhonda McGee is a very unusual um, teacher uh, in my experience. She is a law professor at the University of San Francisco, and it was through law that she found her way to Zen practice because uh, Norman Fisher, who was a former abbot at San Francisco Zen Center, started a group for lawyers that she started going to years ago. Um, And she's also trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction with uh, John Kabat-Zinn. So she teaches, she's African-American, and she teaches at the law school classes on the intersection of racial justice, law, and mindfulness. So she's introducing people, law students, to meditation and um, to uh, the work of racial justice. And uh, in this workshop, she talked about um, some of the ways in which we can create safe enough spaces. And this was a workshop. There were about 60 people. We, most of us didn't know others there. I knew a few people. Um, it was a very diverse in terms of age, sexual orientation, gender, and race. And um, there were a few things she said that uh, actually turned that room full of strangers into a group of people who were dancing together and um, uh, sharing very deeply some of our experiences. 
most of that happened in small groups, so that was one way. But she said a few things that uh, I thought I would share. One is uh, to go into a space like that, or any space with an open mind, an inquiring mind, and that's very much in keeping with beginner's mind, Suzuki Roshi's teaching. Um, you know, in I love the one sentence that he wrote in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. So if we can enter a conversation with someone we don't know with a beginner's mind, if we can listen. Another thing uh, we practiced was deep listening to one other person. Uh, if we can um, recognize that we're not perfect and learn to be okay with ourselves when we make mistakes, which is going to happen, especially if, if we have conversations about race or about um, gender uh, or sexual orientation or just any differences or physical abilities. Some of these would, uh, we may, you know, just out of um, un unconscious, unconsciously not understanding, may say something that's hurtful. And if that happens, if we can listen when someone tells us um, and accept with humility that, you know, we've made a mistake and also not beat up on ourselves, but keep going and keep having conversations, that can be really helpful. Um, so creating conditions to welcome the newcomer. And I wanted to share another poem. This is by a San Antonio poet who um, has given many workshops at Tassajara Zen Mountain Center. So I met her when I was a student there. You've probably met her too, Naomi Shihab Nye. Some of you familiar with her work? Yeah, she was at this conference. And she has really inspired me um, over the years. She's also someone who encourages everyone to write poetry and really demystifies it. She teaches poetry in schools and she's actually now the U.S. Poet Laureate for Children. Um, so, so this is a poem. Oh, you may not know Naomi Shihab Nye's father was Palestinian. Her mother um, Caucasian and American, and um, as a child she spent some time in Jerusalem with her family, and she strongly identifies as Palestinian-American. So this is Red Brocade. The Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed him for three days before asking who he is, where he's from, and where he's headed. That way, he'll have strength enough to answer. Or by then, you'll be such good friends you don't care. Let's go back to that. Rice, pine nuts. Here, take the red brocade pillow. My child will serve water to your horse. No, I wasn't busy when you came. I was not preparing to be busy. That's the armor everyone puts on to pretend they had a purpose in the world. 
I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea. So I, I really love the graciousness of that sentiment. You know, when a stranger appears in your door, feed him for three days before asking who he is. And um, the generosity. And uh, I, I just, um, I think that's something to I asp- something I aspire to. I don't know if I would ever be as warm and generous as Naomi Shihab Nye, but uh, it's nice to know someone like her and to have her poetry, which is also so welcoming and inclusive. So, um, and the reason I mentioned the affinity groups at Sensitor at the beginning is that that is one way of welcoming the stranger or creating safe enough spaces for people who feel traditionally marginalized. It's a hard thing to do, I think, in a a smaller Zen center, Um, but it's something to think about. Um, And also to include another way of creating conditions for inclusion in our Dharma talks are including references to what's happening in the world right now that affects all of us but may more deeply affect some marginalized groups to include readings and poems by marginalized people, traditionally marginalized people. Um, I like to talk about our women ancestors in my Dharma talks because so many of the traditional stories about are about our male ancestors. So there are ways that um, talks can convey that sense of inclusiveness. And then, you know, um, the location of a center. I don't know San Antonio very well. This seems like a place that's not hard to get to for people who live in the city. And that really helps as well. Um, I understand that your programs are offered by Donna. That's way by being, of being inclusive of people who have uh, less financial resources to be able to attend. So there are many ways of creating conditions for inclusion. Um, and I think when we envision the kind of world we'd like to see and the kind of sangha we'd like to be part of, um, that helps to create the conditions that will make it possible. So I just want to end with a very short poem in Rhonda McGee's book. It's near the closing of her book. May the ocean of our healing, your river meeting mine, bring peace. Renew the places and spaces we share and strengthen the currents running through us of justice, of just this, unceasingly. So she talks about this work as never being done, and it's work we do our whole lives, uh, which I find encouraging and inspiring. Um, So thank you so much for your attention.
and um, we have time for questions or comments. So I'm going to put on my glasses so I can see your faces. And would, if you wouldn't mind, if you have a question or comment, to say your name, that would be great. <laughs> 